Chapter Twelve of An Exchange of Souls by Barry Payne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve. The letter which accompanied the latchkey covered several pages of foolscap and was written entirely in the characteristic handwriting of Daniel Myas. It seemed to have been written freely and firmly and gave not the slightest suggestion of a labored imitation of his writing. The sheets were fastened together by a staple placed, as he always placed it, in the middle of the top of the page, not in the corner, which is a more usual custom. My eye fell on the date under the address, and I was astounded. It was the same date as the postmark. I will give the letter in full. Dear Compton, it is not a coincidence, a chance similarity. It is I, Daniel Myas, who write this, though the hand that holds the pen is the hand of Alice Lade. And I shall redeem my promise to you to prove by demonstration that the ego, the soul, the self, exists independently of mind and body though it is only by mind and body that it becomes cognizable by man under his present conditions. I had hoped to redeem that promise differently and more fully. I assure you I write now with no pride in what I have done, but even with an intense horror of it. I have reached the end to which I have devoted so many years of labor, and I would gladly give all that I possess, yes, and life itself, if it could be undone again. I do not write to you to boast of any achievement. I write to ask your help. Do you understand? I am supposed to be Alice Lade. I am possessed of her mind and her body, but with some modifications that have already taken place, and with others, I think, imminent. I am not Alice Lade, and I am Daniel Myas. Yes, I know it is incredible, and I know what facile explanation will leap to your mind at once. But that explanation of madness, plus a considerable gift for forgery, is wrong. I am Daniel Myas. I want your help. I want you to come to the laboratory in the garden. If you do that, if you see my face and hear my voice, you will need no other evidence. You will know that I am Daniel Myas. At this moment the door opened. I was absorbed in what I was reading, and the opening of the door made me start up, but it was merely my servant. The gentleman who was with you here, sir, some months ago, Mr. Valsame, has called and wishes to see you particularly. The man hesitated. Well, I said. He is not sober, sir. Very well. I'm not at home. He is not to wait. Very good, sir. I picked up again the pages in the handwriting of Daniel Myas, and I read on. I have to tell you what happened on the night when my soul, the soul of Daniel Myas, became cognizable only through the mind and body of Alice Lade. I will tell it as clearly as I can but you must make allowances for me. You saw what I was like at that shop in Holborn, and you can believe that I am rarely free from actual physical pain. 
For months, too, I have lived in an agony of fear and remorse, working without hope of success, and with the fixed intention to commit suicide if I failed. It was only a few days ago that something happened to make me give up that intention. I still suffer, though with a flicker of hope that I may yet undo the evil that I have done. Remember, too, that the mind at my disposal is not my mind. There are things which I knew once and know no longer. There are abilities which I once had but no longer possess. Some of these things may come back to me, for some of them have already come back. At the moment, for instance, I can write with equal ease the handwriting of Alice or my own. Other modifications have occurred. Still, I write as one not in full possession of my own powers, but limited by the medium through which my ego becomes cognizable. The Daniel Myas of some months ago could have explained in the smallest detail what his intentions were and how he proposed to carry them out. I have not these details and am left with generalities. I know that it seems to me that there was but one way in which the independent existence of the ego could be demonstrated, and that this was by a transference of an ego to a mind and body other than that with which it had previously been associated. I put it clumsily. Simply, the aim was that Alice Lade and I should for a while exchange ourselves, or souls as I think you preferred to call them. Many years of experiment and observation had convinced me that this exchange was possible. There were limitations, of course, and some of these I cannot recall. But I know that the exchange could only take place between two persons of opposite sexes. I know that it had to take place when these two persons were anesthetized. I have a recollection of a piece of very complicated and elaborate mechanism. I know what firm made it for me. It was in their shop that you saw me. I recollect that there was the necessity for most accurate timing, and that the whole experiment hung, so to speak, on a sixth of a second. Further than that, my memory has not helped me. I have seen the specifications of that mechanism written with my own hand, and I cannot understand them. I have by me many volumes of manuscript notes that I made from time to time for my own assistance, and they are as much Greek to me as if I were a first-year student. However, as I have said, a few days ago there came a flicker of hope that my knowledge will come back. In one particular it has already returned, and most wonderfully. You noticed, when we met in Paris, that I spoke French just about as well as I spoke English. I knew the language thoroughly, of course, and therefore the compliment meant nothing to me. The only people who like to be flattered in their French are the people who cannot speak it. I am glad, though, that you noticed it, because it gives me further evidence with which to convince you. In my new incarnation, in the body of Alice Lade, I had practically no knowledge at all of French. I could not read a French book, though I knew what a word here and there meant. 
I knew what Alice knew exactly, and nothing more than that. A few days ago, quite suddenly, I found that I was actually thinking in French. The whole thing had come back to me. That is why I hope more important knowledge than that may yet come back. I paused a moment as I read this. To say that the only people who cared for compliments on their French were the people who could not speak it would be quite characteristic of Daniel Myas, but Alice Lade would certainly not have said it. On the night of my supposed death, the letter went on, Alice came secretly to the workroom, as she had often done before. The righteous and evil-minded people of the neighborhood made such secrecy a necessity. An hour or more was spent in preparation for the experiment, but I cannot remember in detail what was done. When I try to recall it now, I seem to see myself handling different pieces of apparatus, but I seem to see with the eyes of a person who does not in every case understand the why and the wherefore of what is being done. My last recollection of the moment when we both were passing under the influence of the anesthetic is the tick-tack of the machinery, seeming to grow intolerably loud, and then dying away, as if it had vanished into some distant gray mist. My recollection only becomes perfectly clear at the moment when I recovered from the anesthetic. It was a sudden recovery. I stood up and rubbed my eyes, trying to recall where I was and what I was engaged upon. Then I looked around and saw, huddled in a chair close to me, my own dead body. I turned and looked into a mirror and from the mirror the face of Alice Lade looked back at me. Half of the experiment had succeeded, and half had failed. My own ego was transferred to the body and mind of Alice Lade. But where was she? What had I done with her? Then followed a short period of panic and madness. I had the feelings of a murderer, and was possessed with the idea that, to save myself, it was necessary to remove all evidence of the actual experiment which had taken place. I found a hammer and broke up the delicate apparatus which I had employed and no longer understood. I burned in the stove papers which I think now should have been kept. Remember, I had become a frightened woman. I did things for which there was no reason whatever. I began to make everything neat and tidy. I put drugs away in their place. I swept the broken bits of apparatus into one corner of the room. I hid the little automatic pump which had administered the anesthetic to the brain of Alice Lade. The other automatic pump I did not dare to touch, because it was too near to the dead body. That, perhaps, was as well. I wanted to get out into the open air. I left the dead man lying there, closed and locked the door, and went into the garden. A breath of wind sprang up and shook the dark trees, so that they seemed to be living things that were trying to get at me. I fled up the staircase. The body and mind of Alice seemed to work automatically, doing actions which she must often have repeated 
actions which were no longer controlled by the higher centers. I found my way in the dark through a part of the house where I had never been before. I stepped aside to avoid obstacles. At one point I was very careful to tread very quietly on tiptoe. I found the handle of the door easily without fumbling for it, knowing just where it would be. It was Alice's bedroom door. It sometimes happens that one comes upon a scene which is really absolutely new and yet seems familiar. On a road where one has never been before, one seems to expect every bit of it as it comes into view. It is, I suppose, the memory of a dream. My feelings in that room were very much like that. I slept there. It seems a wonderful thing, but for two hours I actually slept. And after that came hours of horror on which I do not wish to linger. You are not an imaginative man, Compton, but I think you'll suppose pretty well what I went through. I was not able that night to make any plan of action for the future. All that I thought of was to keep the secret and to save myself at the inquest. I remained alone as much as possible, and said as little as possible. At the inquest, as you know, I lied. After the inquest, I tried to get to work again. It was a hopeless business. I was working with the cortex of Alice Lade, not of Daniel Myas. At every step I found that I did not remember and did not know. I tried to get the apparatus reconstructed, which I had broken up in my panic. This has been done in some sort of a way, but I do not think it is right, and in any case I do not understand its use. I suffered tortures from insomnia and from headache and neuralgia. I was filled with fears that Mrs. Lade, or someone else who had also known Alice, would see something strange in me and would guess my secret. Suicide appeared to be the only thing left for me. Then, a few days ago, as I have told you, I suddenly recovered one branch of knowledge which I had lost. Who knows that in time the rest may not come back to me? The nature of Alice was plastic and receptive. The dominant force of my own ego is even now working upon it. It has modified her mind. It has even produced physical changes. Let me become Daniel Myas with the knowledge that he had before, and with some of the ability that he had before, and I will undo some of the harm which I have done. The soul of Alice Lade shall once more become cognizable by her own mind and body, and my own soul shall go out into whatever it may be that awaits the lost. I know that my own feelings before the experiment were feelings of triumph. I felt that I, and I alone, had the secret of life and death. As I write that now, with my present defective knowledge, it looks like the raving of a megalomaniac, but it all seemed logical to my mind then, based on science and working out inevitably. Is there not a faint possibility that I may find myself again in the same position 
not with the same feelings of triumph, for these can never come back, but with the same confidence in myself and with the same certainty that what I have done I can also undo? I cannot stop here. There are many people in this neighborhood who knew Alice Lade and will notice the changes that are taking place in her. Much of her special knowledge is slipping from me. Mrs. Lade speaks of things which she expects me to know all about, and I know nothing of them. The strain of fencing with this is becoming too much for me. An opportunity has now arisen to get Mrs. Lade away to America. I feel a great deal of pity for her. I want to spare her as much as possible, and for that reason alone it is best that she should go. There, perhaps, you will be able to help me. But there are many other ways in which I need your help. I had intended to cut myself adrift from you altogether. You probably noticed that I had intended to let you think that Alice Lade still lived and that I was dead. I was ashamed to let you think the truth. I am ashamed still, but I am compelled to appeal to you. What was done must be undone. You must help me to get away from Knox Street, and you must find for me some place where I can be absolutely alone. If necessary, you must help me in the work. I think circumstances will arise which will require me to give you a power of attorney to deal with all financial business. You understand what I am asking, Compton? I am asking you to help me to bring Alice back again. You must do it. It cannot all be arranged by letter. You must come and see me, painful and shocking though this will be to you. I enclose the key of the garden entrance in Durnford Place, the key which you returned. Come tonight after ten, when there will be no fear of interruption. There was no signature to the letter. By the time I had finished reading it, it was beginning to grow dark. I switched on all the lights in the room. I locked the letter away in a drawer so that I might not see it. I picked up a review and began to read, and found that the words meant nothing to me. I felt sick with horror and disgust. I could not bear to remain alone in my room. As I rose to go out, I heard a loud voice in the passage outside. It was the voice of Mr. Vulsame. End of chapter 12